You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Friday, April 22nd, the day before the 92nd Blue Gold Game in Notre Dame Stadium. I'm Tim Priester with Kevin Sinclair from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson joins us from The Athletic. We've got a lot of things to talk about here, guys, starting with the Blue Gold Game draft. That was something different, uh, fun, interesting, something that I think I know that there were some people in Notre Dame that were concerned about how well it was going to play streaming it out, but I think it played just fine and it flowed, flowed very well. We also have the news about Tyler Buckner's injury. I did the story uh, the last couple of days on uh, the legacy weekend where uh, as many as 300, I, I doubt that it reaches 300 former players, but there's going to be a whole bunch of former players in town for the blue goal game. And then I want to touch upon NIL and Brady Quinn's involvement. But first of all, Pete, uh, your your thoughts on the Blue Gold Game draft, uh, and do you think this is something that they will continue to do under Marcus Freeman? Uh, I mean, as long as you have an NFL Hall of Fame or come back to play the part of commissioner every year, I'm sure it's, uh, that would be fine. I, you know, before we started recording, I, I said the most interesting thing was the fact that Josh Burnham was drafted with the uh, defensive line. But in fact, the most interesting thing was like Tyler Buckner walking into the facility. Uh, Cause that was like the morning after like, Oh, what's up with Buckner and the ankle and everything. So, I mean, it was just kind of a fun, slightly goofy thing. Um, I mean, I, I think for you and I, I, the, what I got most out of it was talking to Jerome Bettis afterwards, probably what you got up most out of it was talking to Hunter Biven afterwards. Um, so I think it just was like um, kind of a fun, slightly goofy way to end spring ball. Kevin, you watched it. I know you weren't there. Um, just some general thoughts on on, on the process that, the, that they followed. Yeah, you know, I think that, I, I don't know, I, I sort of think about a few press conferences ago where Marcus Freeman is talking about spring camps really grueling and they, they would like to add a little bit more fun, whether it's little competitions <laughs> or whatever, into spring ball. And I think this is uh, sort of a bit of that again, like the draft adds a little bit more, a little bit more fun to it for the players, a little bit more excitement. It also creates, you know, PR perspective, a bit more media hype and more stuff rolling out on social media. And I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they've done a really good job of those types of things ever since Marcus Freeman was promoted. Uh, You know, and I think it just sort of falls in line with that, you know, new wrinkles, new head coach, new staff, and a few more things like this thrown in the mix. So I, I liked it. And I, I heard right that they, they like the students were, will be given a team to cheer for. Is that correct? Did you hear about that, Pete? I have not heard about that. I th- maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And so I probably should, but I, I, it was like, okay, you guys, you cheer for blue, you cheer for gold. And so you have an equal distribution. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong about that. I thought, I thought I heard that anyway. Um, I mean, it's going to be a, it should be an incredible day in Notre Dame Stadium. It's going to be the temperatures are going to be up in the upper seventies and and maybe more. We had talked about a couple of weeks ago on a podcast that, boy, I hope I hope the weather's great for the Blue Goal game. And unless the forecast has changed in the last twenty four hours, it should be fantastic. But Tyler Buckner will not be participating in the Blue Goal game, along with I believe twelve or eleven other scholarship players. Um, he slipped on the steps after a, a quarterback's meeting. I was wondering whether Marcus Freeman would be so forthright as to how he suffered the injury. Of course, I was thinking if you say that 
what the reaction is going to be on the message board. And I, I guess <laughs> Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame don't really care what the message board says with regard to that. But I think it also speaks to the transparency of the Marcus Freeman era, at least up to this point, it happened. Um, and so be it. It was, it was certainly more transparent than Brandon Wimbush's foot injury uh, during the <laughs> 2017 season, I think, uh, or 18, 2018 season. So, I mean, it's, I think there's an acceptance, like either you're upfront and you're transparent about it, or we're going to find out what really happened. And it's, it may look worse in the end. So it's true. You know, true. Just, I would just roll with it. Um, if you're Buckner, you're probably like, ah, couldn't we like, pretend nothing happened and i mean if there was no draft maybe you could have you know if we weren't in that building now he was uh, spotted on campus with a crotch i mean that was it it wasn't ever gonna fly so it's you know it's disappointing for buckner to not have a chance to sort of like show off a little bit on saturday um certainly it is disappointing if you're going if you were going to the game with the express purpose of watching tyler buckner which I think if we all said, who are you most interested to see on Saturday? We all sure. were led with Buckner, right? So I don't think that should dissuade you from going to the blue gold game, but I understand. No, the weather why. will, the weather will still yes. be great. It just is, uh, you know, what would the 2007 blue gold game have been without Jimmy Clausen having been enrolled, you know, whether they're great or not. So it, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's disappointing, but I, I take what Marcus Freeman said at face value that, he had 13 really good practices and they feel good about where they are at that well, position. That was what I wrote about that. That that was the last statement that he made. And I don't think anybody heard it at that point because you're already, <laughs> you know, because you're already thinking he slipped on the steps and hurt his, hurt his ankle. And, and, and by all accounts, at least from what I've heard, he, he has had a good spring, uh, but everybody wanted to see him in person, obviously. Kevin, your thoughts on, uh, on that situation. I mean, it's it's such a bummer for Tyler Buckner and, and for everyone, really. And, you know, you just look at his his past, you know, sophomore season, first series of his first game, tore an ACL. That was a legitimate injury, right? Junior year, remarkable season. Senior year, COVID, after he transferred to a more competitive program, misses his whole senior year. And then he comes in. And then, you know, spring games, the kid trips on stairs after a QB meeting. And now... You know, I would just hate to see like, a, you know, a injury prone uh, sort of narrative build when you really, you know, that's going to sort of naturally happen whenever he, you know, misses something. But when you look back, it's really some bad breaks, slipping on some steps. COVID in his senior year is a tough situation. But again, he was there for the scrimmage recently and he'll be back soon. Uh I- I wrote about injury prone and I, I, you know, I, I could probably argue that with, with some of our subscribers forever. I've never, I've always hated the expression. I hated it when I was, was an athlete, a participating athlete, because I don't, I, I, you know, especially with, with football. I mean, what's injury prone. I mean, everybody, everybody gets hurt at some point. And look, I understand it. I get it. And I, you know, I've said on the podcast that, is he going to be able to make it through a season healthy if he's playing every game as a full-time starter? I get that. I just don't like the expression because I think, frankly, I think a lot of times it's going to piss people off too. Frankly, I think a lot of times it's used by people that have never been an athlete. When you say somebody's injury prone injuries happen within athletics, especially football. And so, you know, 
tripping on stairs or slipping on stairs. I've done it. The older you get, you're going to do it more. We're all uh, there. Yeah. I, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I literally know, and somebody said this to me the other day, I literally knew a guy and he was an older gentleman, but he fell down steps and, and died. So it can, I mean, it can, it can literally happen to anybody. And I understand the reaction to it. I just don't like the expression because, you know, uh, sprained ankle, uh, on the football field. Yeah. It happens to every football player multiple times. Uh, but, but look, it is what it is. And everybody wants Tyler Buckner to remain healthy. And I get that. And I hope that he can as well. Legacy weekend. Uh, that's what I kind of coined the phrase. I don't know if Hunter Biven actually gave it to me or not, but Hunter Biven, the former Nordic offensive lineman, who's now uh, director of player development has been put in charge of, helping orchestrate in, in, in coordination with Marcus Freeman, of course, orchestrate uh, getting former players to come back to the, to the blue gold game and just creating a network. What they, they, it started yesterday. Um, just the, the interaction between former players and current players is a great thing for the current players. It's a great thing for the former players. They feel like they're included now. That's something of West Pritchett and Sean. Um, why am I missing Sean's? Wouldn't. Sean Wooden's uh, uh, that were he was excited about it as well. So, um, Pete, you read the story. What what were your thoughts on on, on that? I think it's a, a a really good idea, and I know that it was sort of kicked around, um, you know, certainly pre Marcus. But it was, I think, you know, when you, when you talk to former players, I think there was sort of like the not really feeling super welcome or it'd be awkward. Um, but it's I think it serves to two goals here. It's like you have these former players feel welcome, which means uh especially in an NIL world, um, that maybe they're more likely to donate to something. Um, but also if you're a current player, it forces you to sort of a, well, football ended for all of these guys, so it's gonna end for me too. Um and they figured out what to do. So I need to start figuring out what to do. And I think Marcus went on the Inside the Garage podcast and talked a little bit about that. And I think I don't know if it's Cam Hart or KJ Wallace talked about how like when you're a current player, you you sort of convince yourself football is never gonna end because if you once you accept that, then it's it's almost like a show of weakness that I'm not all in on football. Um, and this sort of helps break that down a little bit. And I think it just I mean, we've had, there have been, uh, you know, some real tragic stories from Notre Dame football players in the last few years. Um, I think some of them maybe were a little disconnected. So I think it's, it also helps that. It helps guys feel more connected once they're gone um, to their teammates and, you know, be part of something a little bit bigger than themselves. Kevin, how do you see this? And, and I, you know, I realize that former players aren't supposed to contact recruits, but how do you see this playing out? for the benefit of Notre Dame's recruiting efforts moving forward. Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about this last night, you know, I'll give you an example. A a couple of weeks ago, um, I interviewed two offensive linemen who visited Notre Dame, big time recruits. And when they were there, Quentin Nelson and Sam Mustafer were there and he talked about, they both talked about, you know, it seemed like there was like a starstruck element right at first, especially with Quentin Nelson and who he is. But then they get to talking with them and they're talking about technique and scheme and those types of things. And there's, um, you know, they make a connection with them and realize how, how bright and, and high integrity a lot of these guys are. And then they make a personal connection with these guys who they also watch 
on TV on Sundays. You talk about this upcoming weekend. Uh, for example, Jaden Lamar will visit Notre Dame. He is a running back. He's going to you know, likely get in front of Jerome Bettis and talk with them. I can see that, you know, I've done countless post-visit interviews over the years. And some of the most like wow factor type feedback I've heard has been surrounded around seeing big name alumni on campus um, from parents as well. I remember talking to Tobias Merriweather's dad after the USC game and him talking about, I believe it was, you know, Joe Theismann and Jerome Bettis, um, you know, literally bumping into Jerome Bettis while he was there. And then just sort of, um, you know, seeing those, that those are Notre Dame built guys and their son are going to, is going to be playing there and, and so forth. And, you know, I think it's, it's huge for recruiting and it might be a little bigger than we'd even imagine. Uh, Pete, I want to conclude segment one. I know you recently wrote about uh, Brady Quinn's involvement in a, in a NIL deal that involves charities. What I, what I know about it, which is very little is that that is what NIL is, should be all about. Uh, Why don't you dive into that for us if you could please. So uh, I think it was a, Early this year, Brady Quinn started thinking about the NIL space. Um, he said that, you know, certainly the enthusiasm around Marcus Freeman kind of helped engage him on that, um, you know, or at least make him enhance the motivation. And it's what they set up. It's called Fund Friends of the University of Notre Dame. And it is a way that people donate to fund. And then that money is distributed to players for NIL space to sort of back their charitable work. Uh, money goes to the charity directly itself too. So I believe I want to say about eight players will be involved in this sort of first round of it. Um, basically, if you're a player and you're interested in like the Boys and Girls Club of of South Bend, like Jalen Seed, for example, grew up at the Boys and Girls Club in Hilton Head. That was a big part of his upbringing if he wants to get involved in that locally because it's a, a cause that's important to him fund will essentially pay him to do that. Um, you know, as a, like an appearance fee almost. Uh, and then the boys and girls club would also benefit directly from fund, not only from the fact that an early football player is there posting on social media about it, but like financially too, um, from fund. So that's, that's sort of what it is. I, you know, Brady, I asked him like, is this, is this meant to be sort of a counter to what's going on at Tennessee and the sec? And I was like, no, this is not, this is not what this is about. Um, and you know, like Tom Mendoza is on the board of this. Um, so look, if you're an Notre Dame football player and you can get involved in this one, you can make some money. Uh, but also you're going to get your name and brand out there. And the, what Mendoza said to me was like, these are the kinds of people that businesses for profit entities want to be involved with um, if they see you out there doing this. So they felt like that can be an upshot of the entire uh, venture as well. Well, that's good stuff. And um, not surprised that Brady Quinn's involved in it. And I'm glad that it's something that Notre Dame is involved in as well. Um, And just to conclude this section, I, I am making the effort to, I think I said this maybe last time, Brandon Lee, who was hired by Notre Dame a couple months ago um, to kind of orchestrate and organize the whole NIL process for Notre Dame. Uh, we're hoping to get an interview with him soon, shortly, shortly after the conclusion of spring football here this Saturday. We'll be back segment two, burning up the boards. 
Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Play Like a Champ 7. After reading about the Legacy Weekend, it seems like such a no-brainer as Notre Dame has pushed the what can Notre Dame do for you narrative. Obviously, this is a big Marcus Freeman push, but was Brian Kelly the only reason this wasn't more important, or were there other factors? Um, I mean, would you say the the only reason? Probably not, but I mean, Brian Kelly was much more closed off than Marcus Freeman was. Um, I think that probably one of the undersold factors here is like, I'm not saying Marcus Freeman is a former Notre Dame player, but Marcus Freeman is a former player at a Notre Dame level kind of thing where I think he can relate to that in a way that Brian Kelly never could. Um, on top of just being more accessible and authentic and sort of gracious with his time, like all of that, it all, it all fits together. But I think the fact that Freeman has essentially walked in the shoes of someone like Wes Pritchett is is important. Um, And and I think that probably resonates with Marcus. Yeah. I wouldn't add like a whole, I would just echo everything Pete just said, but I also just say, it seems more prominent now because I think Marcus Freeman is just a really good communicator too. You know, I talked to a lot of recruits, obviously as a recruiting reporter, and it seems like that what Notre Dame can do for you is resonating a lot more than it used to with recruits and their parents. So I think, you know, again, the communicator being Marcus Freeman now sort of makes it more prominent just in its on its own. Yeah, I can't think of a, a another specific reason other than Brian Kelly. Um, and, and and Kelly didn't initiate it, but he, you know, Freeman prioritized it. I mean, absolutely has pri- it. prioritized it. And and Kelly initiated it, but didn't push for it. So, and then I, you know, I mean, give Hunter Biven credit. He's the guy that's pulled it all together. I'm not saying there isn't another guy out there that, that, could not have done that, but, but he did. And he's been proactive with it. And he knew that Freeman was excited about it and it was important and, and, and Biven wore that. So, um, you know, the other thing, Pete, what you said about, I mean, I've said this several times on podcasts and I've written it. I, I, Marcus Freeman was recruited by Notre Dame. Uh, He was a Notre Dame kind of guy, but Ohio state made sense for him at the time. But I think, at a young age, as a teenager, he got Notre Dame. He understood Notre Dame. And then spending the last year here as a defensive coordinator, he kind of wrapped himself up in it. So I think it's great. Um, give me an opportunity to maybe communicate with a few more guys that I've dealt with over the many the decades of covering Notre Dame. Um, I think we're going to see 
a whole lot more coming back. I'm, I, I haven't asked Hunter Biven this, but I, I, um, I should have known that when I said up to 300 might be here that our readers would want to know, all right, who, who, who are those guys? <laughs> so in the aftermath of the weekend, I'm going to follow up with him and see if he can provide the, the definitive list of, of actually all the former Nordic players that showed up. A uh, question from IC Gold, a little bit long, but thought it was uh, entertaining. So here goes. What is the appropriate reaction to the Tyler Buckner injury walking downstairs? One, the Goog sucks and needs to be torn down and rebuilt immediately. Two, Under Armour footwear sucks and we need to switch to Nike. Three, Tyler Buckner sucks, is injury prone, and we will never win a championship with him. And, oh, Dante Moore is trending toward Oregon. And four, I have done it myself. It's embarrassing, especially if your friends or an attractive member of the opposing sex sees it happen. I don't know if any of those fit, man, but <laughs> I think four, def, four would be my uh, lead. Although if you had told me that Brian Ke- or uh, that Tyler Buckner somehow tripped over one of those like rolling dining carts, then uh, we would have a different controversy <laughs> altogether. Then Brian Kelly would be like, all right, point taken, sir. <laughs> New facilities. Yeah, Kevin, which one, it's, it's, which yeah, one I those four? I mean, yeah, I would just say four, of course. I mean, again, we talked about it in the first segment, and and the injury prone, uh, you know, narrative is is just nonsense. I, I, you know, I wrote about something similar when I was writing about DeBron Payne because he, you know, had a, missed a bunch of time throughout high school and that sort of thing. And I interviewed his, you know, teammates and coach about is it injury prone or is it just plain old bad luck? And when you look at it, they're all just separate incidents and with Tyler Buckner and missing time in the past again tripping on some stairs uh, after a QB meeting recently and then missing his senior season in high school was simply because of COVID Uh, I think that there is no injury prone uh, narrative there Uh, it's just a bad break really I'd just like to uh, wrap it up by saying if you ever get your knee replaced be careful going down steps because you may fall (laughs) You may fall down the last couple, not jo- not once, but on two occasions, it can happen. <laughs> uh, GR Irish fan twenty two with Buckner out for the Blue Bowl game. What players are you most interested in keeping an eye on? Ooh, uh, I would say I would like to see Riley Mills, especially if he's getting in some matchups with Fisher or Alt, because um, I think that's like we know. Oh, where Alton Fisher are in their games, and we've seen what Fisher has done to Foskey in the past since of practicing. I'd like, I'd like to see Mills have some success in that. Um, beyond that, uh, probably a Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey. Those would be two guys if they played well. Not that it would be indicative of what kind of season they're going to have, but they have something to build on moving into summer and training camp. And I think that there could be real value there. For me, like. Nat, I know that you guys are going to name a lot of sophomore, juniors, seniors, fifth years. For me, honestly, naturally, as a recruiting reporter, the early enrollment guys are always just very interesting to me because I've just been covering those guys for a year, sometimes two years, right? Uh, I met Aiden Govira when he was a sophomore in high school. So for me, um, you know, uh, Jadarian Price and Jaden Mickey were my picks as the most uh, potentially underrated offensive signee and defensive signee. I think a lot of people agreed with that. Um, and it's, you know, been no surprise to see that they've really kind of emerged. Right. And you know, if you think about the impact, uh, a, you know, just as an example, like a Julian love type 
cornerback developing at Notre Dame here in the next couple of years, that would be absolutely massive. So I'm really interested to see how he uh, makes out, you know, in, in spring ball. And he seems like he's, you know, there's a lot of buzz about him. You know, there's a lot of running backs to look at. Estime and Diggs, of course, uh, still young themselves, but Jerry and Price really interested to see what he looks out there. You know, guy like Nolan Ziegler, you know, he was about 205 pounds as, as a senior. I actually happen to know he's up to 222 pounds now. I saw a photo of him uh, recently. Uh, his parents had sent me, and you, you could see it. You know, he's added some size. And then I, another guy, Junior Tui Halamaka, I was thinking about Mike Linebacker. You know, it's Bo Bauer, J.D. Bertrand this year. Bo Bauer will be gone uh, the following year. Maybe Junior to Alamaka becomes Bertrand's understudy and, and starts, you know, building his career. Mike, um, he's another really intriguing guy. Aiden Gobyron needs to add size. But what does that speed look like on the edge? And then I guess aside from the early enrollees, a um, couple guys who've been injured who I'm just thrilled to see soon, Kevin Bauman and Maris Liufel, of course. I think you guys mentioned all the guys I had on the list. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, what I want to, what I want to see, you know, guys that that have been in the program maybe just one year, but there's doubt or concern as to how they're going to develop. Wouldn't you like to see Deion Colsey catch a forty-three yard touchdown pass, or Jaden Thomas score a touchdown? Uh, estimate. By the way. Know, Col- Colsey scoring a touchdown in the spring game will not count in the Logan Diggs hundred yards. Okay, no, just, no, no, okay. <laughs> no, it will, it, <laughs> it will now count, but yeah, I mean, look, Rocco Spindler, wouldn't you like to see him, Yeah, you know, play productively? Uh, Kevin, I agree with you with Bauman. I, you know, I really, for the first time spent some time with him interviewing him a couple weeks ago and I love his attitude and his approach. Mitchell Evans, I think is a, mm-hmm. is a, is a fascinating prospect because of his length in his athleticism and the fact that he was, you know, still more quarterback than, than full-time tight end last year at this time. And then the early entries, because Mickey, you know, we only had one full practice, but there were some guys that, that stood out that, you know, you wonder, okay, is this a one shot deal? And it hasn't been the case. Bracey's had a good spring. Um, Jaden Mickey stood out. He's had, uh, and there is a question about the order of draft, which we'll get into here in a bit, uh, which I think is a little bit interesting. Burnham as a as an edge guy, uh, Kevin Ziegler, I, I, I agree with you on him too. It's a guy that we've heard very good things about. And then the interior, all those young interior defense alignment that are that are the next rung of players, um, you know, a defensive tackle and nose tackle. So there's a lot to keep an eye on, but there it's. Uh, that's the fun part is when you can see some of these guys that that maybe fans are down on or you're not hearing too many good things about and and all of a sudden uh you know Deion Colsey scores from 35 yards out and the fans feel better about that going into the summer question from Swarbrick for Prez what's more likely Saturday Pine makes a case for a true quarterback competition Pine is a solid backup but Notre Dame season is riding on Buckner's health or while Pine may actually end up being third string when the season starts. The second one, right? Like, yeah, I, I think it's where that's, that's Pine's level. I think that he's a, a good college backup quarterback uh, at, at the Notre Dame tier. I mean, like if Drew Pine on Saturday, be like, you know what? Today was my last day game at Notre Dame. I'm going to Northwestern. I'd be like, well, Northwestern's, I would, I would think stock up for Northwestern. Um, 
but you know, at Notre Dame level, trying to compete college football playoff, I think he's a great number two. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't really have much to add. I, I would just echo all of that. You know, if, I mean, if Pine comes out, he's going to play for both teams. So he's going to have tons of opportunities to succeed. So, I mean, he, what, he comes out and throws four touchdown passes Saturday playing for two teams. That's going to prompt some people to say, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, but I do think that it's more the second choice there that Buckner is the guy that's ultimately going to win the job because his upside physically is greater because of the running option. And I think that ultimately, as he continues to fine tune his throwing motion, which I think has really come into line pretty much this spring, uh, that he's going to be the guy. But I've said all along that Drew Pine is going to be needed. Uh, I don't have a problem with, you know, because Buckner, let's say he's a starter, he'd be a first-time starter on a full-time basis. And he's struggling early in a game that you're struggling and you need to pick me up. I think Drew Pine is the guy to do that. I think he showed that last year on two occasions against good competition. And I think ultimately that's, that's the pecking order that you want. Uh, I think that that's the pecking order that gives Notre Dame the, the highest upside at the quarterback position. This was the question I referred to from TJ uh, from PH 70. How much weight should we put on the draft order for players within their positional groups? Coach Freeman seemed to suggest that the players cared about where they were picked and worked towards that. Does the draft give us any insight into spring performance or player movement? Uh, Kevin, I'm not sure that you know the, uh, the order of how those guys were, were chosen. So Pete, what's your, what's your comment on that? Well, so these are the guys that were drafted first at their position. Seniors were not draft eligible. So Foskey, Lindsay couldn't be drafted. So it went and Pine was undraftable because Buckner was out. So it went Steve Angeli, Logan Diggs, Lorenzo Styles, Michael Mayer, Zeke Carell, Howard Cross, Maris Leafau, Clarence Lewis, Brandon Joseph. I think that uh, Jaden Mickey was drafted higher than Barnes Tucker. He was O'Reilly. Yes. I think it's probably indicative of something with Philip Ry- or uh, with Jaden Mickey. That's pro- um, beyond that. Probably not. You know, Zeke Carell going number one in the offensive line, but I, I realize the offense, there's, he's the only center uh, and the right. offensive line plays both ways. I'm not sure if that tells us a whole lot. Either. Yeah. That, that the gold had the first pick in the entire draft and it was offensive lineman and the gold pick Carell. And then of course, Fisher went next to the blue. See the gold pick Corral because they knew they had a true center and it's the only it, one. It, right. And it didn't, it didn't matter whether, I mean, then the blue would pick Alter or Fisher and the gold would get the other one that wasn't picked there. So that meant that, that was, that was, uh, that was smart drafting by, I want to say Dylan McCullough. I think that uh, that was their side of the ball, but a couple, and I could be wrong on some of these, but I don't think uh, the order, because they, when they changed positions, then they would flip-flop between gold and blue as to who had the first pick at the new position. But, okay, for example, here, Jaden Thomas, I believe, went ahead of Lorenzo Styles, which I don't really understand that. But, uh, and I could be wrong on that, but I don't think that I am. Jaden Thomas went ahead of Colsey, not a surprise. Mitchell Evans went ahead, went ahead of Kevin Ballman, which is kind of surprising. As you said, Pete, Mickey was ahead of Barnes, Riley Tucker. Uh, Price was ahead of Estime, which isn't a shock, a different type of back. So those were, those were some of the ones that 
that uh, that I saw that stood out a little bit. But a, a lot of it also was like, especially when you talk about defensive line, offensive line, um, linebackers. You know, you have to kind of choose. To, it's not just linebackers; it's Mike linebacker, Will linebacker, Rover. So you have to kind of pick towards filling out across the across the board at positions. So that can be a little bit deceiving. But I thought it was an interesting question, and some of those were were um, were interesting picks along the way. Question from Jim Booney, CRS. Pete, you said you've been worried about Dante Moore taking an official visit to Oregon. Now that it's scheduled, do you have a pulse <laughs> on how Notre Dame is feeling about Dante Moore? I think it's uh, something to be concerned about. <laughs> Not because, like, the Oregon Ducks are this magical program steeped in tradition and high academics, but they've got an NIL machine there that is backed with some serious money. So that's, you just you have to be aware of that if you're Notre Dame. Um, you got to figure out what your, your counter move is going to be in that situation. Kevin, when you saw that Moore had scheduled a visit to Oregon, uh, what was your reaction? Well, you know, it's all part of, you know, uh, kind of a nerve wracking waiting game. And what I mean by what I mean by that is, you know, first of all, again, we haven't been into this NIL um, situation very long. So it's still a little bit uncharted territory. Um, Also, it's just the simple fact of you don't know exactly what schools are going to offer these top prospects of yours. And two, you don't know how they're going to react to that, you know, whether some, uh, whether there'd be some flashy deal that will just, you know, end things and that's going to be the deal breaker. You just can't predict those things. And that's what's difficult. I think what's important for Notre Dame is they're confident in the relationship that they've built with Dante Moore. They're very confident in that on its own. Again, it goes back to, you don't know, what other programs are going to kind of put on the table and then again, how they're going to sort of react to that. And that's what sort of makes this difficult. And with the NCAA declining to sort of define the NIL, um, you get more into these uh, deals that seem like they are outside of the bounds of what kind of NIL was supposed to be from the outset. And that's what's nerve wracking. Pete, this next question, uh, I believe you're the one that that brought up Ricky uh, Purcell, the first that I saw of it anyway. It's from Woj to God. It's are there any any names to know about in the transfer portal as far as wide receivers? What do you I'm going to comment about Ricky Pearsall, uh, what I have seen of him on film. Uh, but what do you know about Notre Dame's interest and his interest in Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, it's mutual for sure. Um that doesn't mean that it's automatic. I, I don't think that, I mean, people can read into this as they want, but going from Northwestern to Notre Dame or Harvard to Notre Dame is a little different than going from Arizona state to Notre Dame. So that's, that's part of it. But I mean, if you're just looking at what, what the, t- I think we said this on an earlier podcast, but like the type of receiver Notre Dame is looking for is a power five level or close to it receiver who's established who doesn't have like this bizarre history of injuries injury prone if you will um they're trying to avoid that um and so and he's produced um not somebody who feels like they got screwed out of playing time at a high-end school and they're just looking for a fresh start they're looking for somebody who's produced who wants to take it up a level uh and really Pearsall fits fits that perfectly uh in terms of 
just sort of the athletic resume that Notre Dame feels like they can add. Ricky Prosol is 6'1", 200 pounds. His first two years in the program, he caught he, he caught just 13 passes. Now, he had the pandemic year in there, and so the Pac-12 the Pac played half the games that everybody else did. But this past year, he caught 48 passes for 580 yards. So that's 12.1 per reception. Uh, he scored four touchdowns. They, they got the football. He was their leading receiver with 48 receptions. They got the football to him in a variety of ways. Sometimes the quick out, you know, behind the line of scrimmage. He did have a 65-yard deep ball against UCLA that was pretty. He runs very well. He's quick and he runs. He runs very well. He's threw for a touchdown. I saw a, a, a clip of that. He actually threw for a touchdown. But I love his stop and start ability. His cutting ability. He 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 really has the ability to separate. You can align him at multiple positions which is something that Tommy Reese would like. Um, I saw an interview with his, maybe this, <laughs> this is probably more information than it might be worth it because we don't know whether he will end up at Notre Dame, but his position coach at Arizona State talk about, talked about that he was a physical player and that he was mentally tough. So um, Ricky Pearsall is a guy that is on Notre Dame's radar and vice versa. Um, are you guys aware of any other uh possible transfer receivers it's been pretty quiet on that front because i know that tom lloyd reported that notre <clears> dame that i don't think that they had really found the guy that they were looking for yet that had already put his name in the portal uh did pierce all do this recently pete he he hasn't yes. been sitting there for a while it was recent. no no no, no. he yeah, it was recently and i it may have been just 48 hours ago but it was a it was okay. a very very recent thing kevin you got anything I, on I, I, any of this yeah, I know that, you know, yesterday in our message board and Irish Illustrated, Tom Lloyd mentioned uh, another receiver by the name of uh, Jalen Robinson out of uh, Central Florida. Um, you know, he had originally gone to Oklahoma, transferred to Central Florida. I mean, he had in his sophomore year, um, you know, 55 catches for 979 yards, six touchdowns, chose that last season, however, only played in six games, um, but he had another 18 catches for over 300 yards. Um, you know, he's an exciting playmaker, so we'll, we'll sort of keep an eye on him as well. So it sounds like these two names we brought up are right now who to keep an eye on. But again, you got to remember spring games are still coming. More guys are going to enter the portal and they'll be, you know, spending a lot of time focusing on that post spring game. So I'm sure more names are going to emerge. Yeah, Kevin, I'm glad. Thank you for bringing up Jalen Robinson's name. I was aware of him and it, it, it slipped my mind. So that's a couple to keep an eye on. And as you say, when as spring football ends. As if there aren't enough players in the portal, there are going to be a lot more, I would imagine, as spring football ends, including mm-hmm. perhaps some Notre Dame players. I mean, I, you know, we don't like to name guys before it's all before the spring is concluded, but uh, uh, those are a couple, and we'll hear more moving forward. Irish from two, uh, it's third and six late in the fourth quarter. You need a first down to win a game. Are you taking 2012 Tyler Eifert or 2022 Michael Mayer? Ooh. I yeah, am. for me, I say, I say there's no right answer here, but <laughs> for me, I would roll with Mayer due to his, like, sheer intensity and, like, ultimate confidence. But, man, I mean, there, there's no right answer there. What say you guys? I feel like Reese has hinted that it's Mayer, and his credibility on this is high because Tyler Eifert is one of his best friends. So, 
I think I, I'm going to have to defer to the OC and give the slight edge to Mayer. Um, you know, I, I had a phrase when I was coaching when, okay, we can play this guy at this position or this guy at this position. And I would say choose and lose. In this instance, it's choose and win with either one of them. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't pick against Michael Mayer, but I would say that Tyler Eifert was a guy that his catch radius was probably a little bit larger. He was a little bit yep. longer and, 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 you know, more sleek and, and agile uh, per se, but choose and win there, man, whoever you want. I, I, or let's put it this way. I'll let you guys have the first pick and be perfectly comfortable with the second pick question from Dutter 25. Is there a real possibility that Braylon James gets reclassified? Kevin, you have some, uh, some Intel on this. Yeah. So I, you know, I sort of asked around about it and it sounds like, you know, that idea was kicked around and perhaps is still kicked around. There's, you know, I wasn't able to dig up any answer as to uh, whether that could actually happen or will actually happen. So it sounds like right now it's, it's still something that's really just discussed unless there's been a movement uh, recently that I haven't heard of, but I, my initial response to this would be probably not, you know, I know that, talking with Braylon and, and people around him a bunch this week around his commitment. I got on the phone with him for quite a while the day before he announced, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about his senior season and how he's transferring to Stony Point. And I know that there's some excitement there because you'll have a bit better talent around him. Del Valley's offense last year where he played struggled mightily. And there's a lot of talk about that. And I just don't know if there'd be so much talk about that if he was gearing up to, you know, to be in the 2020 class and play at Notre Dame this fall. So I don't know. I, my, my initial response is no, it's probably not going to happen, but it, it, you know, I was kind of surprised to learn that it, it was and is actually discussed. Kevin, let me throw in, I didn't discuss this with you, but uh, somebody else asked about uh, commitment watch for this weekend. And a couple of names that were thrown out is Lamar, the running back and Cervell, the the offensive lineman. I presume they're both in town this weekend with, with many others, any thoughts on those two guys and any other possibilities? Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I'm not expecting like, you know, someone to uh, just announce a a commitment on their way out or something like that this weekend, not saying that's, that that's impossible though. I've predicted Jane Lamar uh, to Notre Dame. And I'll, I'll say, you know, from a like personality and character sort of perspective, Lamar is one of my favorite kids in the class. He reminds me a lot of Tobias Merriweather, and those two are friends, played seven on seven together. I also found when I did a deep dive in his film, I was more talented than um, I had initially realized, and he verified for low four five speed recently. And then there's Searveld, you know, um, kind of between Ohio State, Alabama, and Notre Dame there. Um, you know, there's no indication that he's you know going to just announce soon. Who knows? Maybe after a, a really good visit, he decides to flip the switch and make that uh, announcement. Um, not expecting that though. And then there's a couple of high-profile receivers, Rodney Gallagher and Jane Greathouse visiting again. I would expect them to go on uh, more visits. And um, but you know, we'll see. It's going to be an exciting weekend. Lots of commits there as well. Um. You know, I'm not saying it, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but um, yeah, I'm not expecting it right now. And things are looking really good with offensive lineman Sam Pendleton, correct? Yeah, that's right. And actually, today, check out uh, Irish Illustrated for my story on Pendleton. I got on the phone with his offensive line coach, his head coach, and his longtime trainer. 
Um, had long conversations with all three, uh, and I put together a, a feature article on Pendleton that will be up on our front page today. Question from ZWMS548. It was intimated on a podcast a few weeks back that the realignment of Alt at left tackle and Fisher at right tackle was in part to, quote, keep the peace. Not sure if you can go further, but if Fisher willingly accepted the right tackle spot to preserve team chemistry, that kid deserves an enormous amount of respect from the fan base. This is probably a question for me to answer, but Pete, do you want to jump in on that? I th- I think I would only say that the LTRT is, I think we probably make too much out of that. Um, I, I understand like the blind side part and like, that's all important, but I think he stand intimated or said it. The Fisher's a better run blocker. Right. Right side is a good spot to be. Um, right. Yeah. Two first round level tackles down the road. One's got to play right tackle. Um, and it just happens to be Fisher. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up. He stands said it, and it makes sense because, you know, I mean, really long-term, and I know that I said long-term when Fisher came in that he would be guard, but uh, he's, he's, he proved, clearly proved me wrong there. But, but long-term, I would anticipate that Fisher on the next level is a right tackle. I mean, he's a big, big dude, and, and right tackle makes a little bit more sense. Um Maybe it is overblown a little bit, Pete, but you know there there's prestige that comes with with left tackle, no and, doubt, and a little bit no a little doubt. bit more cash in the in in the process. Um, Kevin, no, I just I fully agree, and I think it's it's a very simple and accurate answer. Uh, we got two, you know, guys who are going to be elite tackles, and Blake Fisher is a bit better of a run blocker. It makes sense he plays right tackle. Joel played on the left side all season last year. Why change that? Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I mean, I just think it's a better fit. Uh, and both are going to be just – both are going to play in the NFL. Both have an opportunity to be first-round draft choices down the road. and uh, Both are going to be fine. Great players in the making. We're going to wrap up with a question from Murphy324, and that is Michael Mayer is universally referred to as the best player on the team. At this time – Next year, will we be referring to Blake Fisher in the same way? Aside from Tyler Buckner, is there another obvious candidate? Yeah, I would say that the best case scenario he said to you know, this question was aside from Buckner, so we can't say him. I would just say the best case scenario would be if this time next year it was Buckner who was the best player, and I think that that's obvious. But uh, who is there another obvious candidate? I mean, unless there is a you know, breakout season from a guy like Lorenzo Styles or Chris Tyree, and then he returns or uh, Logan Diggs, uh, you know, very well could be Blake Fisher this time next year. However, um, when you're talking about the best player on the team, someone's going to lead you to the playoff. You're not, ob- on, uh, you're not often talking about an offensive lineman, right? So it's usually a, a skill guy, a guy gets the ball in their hands or at least, a, you know, a pass rusher. So, you know, I think um, one of those skill, younger skill players like, Lorenzo Styles or Logan Diggs had a, again. If they have a breakout this year this season, could be one of those guys. If not, Fisher or Buckner would probably be most likely. I would imagine. I yeah, I would agree. Styles was the guy I was going to say. Um, you know, it's, if you went with Leofow a year from now, that wouldn't blow me away either. Um, I because I think statistically he's going to have an incredible year. I mean, it might be so good that he leaves, but um, 
I'd say Styles and Leofau. If you had if you had to remove Buckner, those would probably be the first two guys I would go with. The guys I wrote down were Styles, Alt. Although I do think we're if we're comparing offensive linemen, we're probably still going to to lean towards Fisher over Alt. Although I think Alt's going to be a great player. Totally agree with Leofau. <laughs> I think there's a possibility that Cam Hart, because of his length, let's put it yeah. this way: if he makes the same progress next year compared to the progress he made in the previous year, there's a chance of that happening. But I think, I think my two top picks on defense, I would agree with Leofal, but my top pick would be Brandon Joseph, because if he continues what he started to do at Northwestern, then he's going to be a, a a real standout. And I think we're, we've already seen signs of that this spring, but um, yeah, I mean, Ideally, Tyler Buckner, I don't think that we'll be saying that, even if he even if he has a solid first year to very good first year. I, I, I'm not sure that we're going to be saying Tyler Buckner, but uh, hey, any one of those guys that we just mentioned competing for that for that mantle, that would be that'd be just fine. That'd be it'd be a good thing for Nordic football. All right. Uh, tomorrow is the blue gold game, April 23rd, kicking off at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be back on Monday, April 25th for the next edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.